When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hello. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. I'm Liv, and oh, how I've loved telling you the story of my main man, Odysseus, and the story of the Odyssey. I know last episode was a little slow, more story progression than action, but that's only because of how close we're getting to the real action. And as much as I want to get to the gory goodness of that portion of the Odyssey, we're nearing its end, and that's so depressing. 
I love the story way too much, and reading Emily Wilson's translation has been a real thrill. I'd highly recommend you all pick up a copy and give it a read. I talked a lot about it when we started out, but it's, again, it's so very readable. It's beautifully told. The translation is just amazing. Definitely the most enjoyable translation I've read, and certainly the best I own. And as a collector of editions of The Odyssey, I have quite a few. Too many, but who's counting? Where we last left our beloved, intrepid Odysseus, he was being quite cagey and deceptive. Kind of annoying, honestly, but what can you do? You love who you love, right? He's been staying with the swineherd, Eumaeus, and lying to him quite extensively, much out of necessity, but a lot out of pure love of lying, because Odysseus sure does love making shit up. Eumaeus has been a good host, but he's really not into hearing this stranger's theories on the impending return of Odysseus, Eumaeus' master and king of Ithaca. That's where he draws the line when it comes to, well, Odysseus's stories about Odysseus because he doesn't know it's Odysseus. It's a whole thing. Meanwhile, finally, Telemachus has returned to his homeland and he's arrived to speak with Eumaeus, where he meets this odd stranger who's been staying with him. Telemachus sends Eumaeus off to tell his mother, Penelope, that he's arrived home safely, and he and Odysseus, who he just thinks is a stranger, are left alone. And so, I give you. Episode 56, Reunited and It Feels So Good, The Odyssey, Part 9. Sing muses of the real and true Odysseus, finally home in Ithaca, and mad as hell. Odysseus, now transformed by Athena back into his beautiful self, returns to the house and sits back down in front of his son, Telemachus. Telemachus is, unsurprisingly, shocked. Stranger, he yells, how do you look so different from just moments ago? You've dressed differently, your skin is tan and youthful, your hair and beard dark and full. Are you a god come down from the sky? If you are, please treat us well and we will sacrifice all you want. Clearly Telemachus is a bit worked up, and I mean, who wouldn't be? One second you're having a nice chat with this rando stranger who's in your kind of adopted grandfather's house and looks real old and scraggly and kind of gross. And then the dude goes outside and comes back and what oh, he's young and hot and kind of shimmery. It's a lot for Telemachus to take in, but Odysseus doesn't make him sweat long. He looks at Telemachus and says, simply, I'm not a god, I'm your father, Odysseus. I'm the reason you're so upset and the reason these suitors have been terrorizing you all this time. Odysseus grabs his son in a huge bear hug, tears streaming down his face. It's all very beautiful and emotional, except for the fact that Telemachus is kind of unsure if he should be believing this dude who was two seconds ago an old scraggly man. Finally, Telemachus decides, no, he's not convinced this is his dad, not after all this time. He pushes Odysseus off and tells him, no, you're not Odysseus. Some god must have put a spell on me, meant to cause even more pain. No one could manage turning from old to young in an instant, just like you did, unless a god did it themselves. 
Odysseus tries to reassure Telemachus, telling him he is indeed Odysseus. He is Telemachus's father, and it was Athena who transformed him. That's all it takes, and Telemachus wants to believe, so all he needs is this explanation. He throws himself around Odysseus, hugging him harder than he ever thought possible. Now, with his own tears streaming down his face, it's really fucking beautiful, you guys. These two men hugging each other and crying like real men with emotions and love for each other. It's fucking refreshing, okay? Odysseus gives his son a short explanation of how he got there, but quite surprisingly for Homer, he doesn't get into the details of where he's been all this time. He's probably saving that for later. For now, it's a quick explainer on how he got home and how he plans to kill those fucking suitors, and how are they going to do it? Whoa, whoa, Dad, slow your roll, is not what Telemachus says, but it is what he means. I think you're misunderstanding how many suitors are in the palace. Telemachus tells his father how many there are and where they came from. Basically, there's about a hundred men in the palace, all vying for Penelope, and all very much armed. We can't take them all on, just the two of us, he explains. Don't you think Zeus and Athena would be sufficient backup, Odysseus asks, as if it's totally normal that they'd have the king of the gods and the goddess of war helping them out on their killing spree? Sure, they'd provide good protection from above, but what about us down below actually trying to kill all these dudes? Telemachus responds. No, no, Odysseus reassures his son. Zeus and Athena will help as soon as we need them. Now, you go back to the palace and join those asshole suitors so they aren't tipped off, and I'll have Eumaeus bring me into town disguised as I just was. If they try to beat me up, you have to sit and watch. Don't jump in to help. That will give us away. No, you just have to sit and wait for my signal. When Athena tells me to, I'll give you a nod. That will tell you when to go looking for weapons. Scour the palace. Find all the weapons you can. Every weapon the suitors have. Take them and hide them away where they won't be able to find them. Leave out only what you and I will need to do the job. Finally, Odysseus says to Telemachus, and this is the most important part, No one can know that I'm back. Not my father, Laertes, not the swineherd, Eumaeus, not even my wife, your mother, Penelope. No one can know until we've done what we need to do. Odysseus and Telemachus have finalized their plan, which also includes testing the female slaves to see who's loyal. They consider the testing the men, too, but Telemachus decides it's too much work. Whatever. I guess they've got to do what they've got to do when it comes to sorting out who's going to be with or against them when they're fighting off these suitors. As Odysseus and Telemachus go over everything they plan to do within the palace, the other men that Telemachus sent on with his ship, they arrive in Ithaca's port. A messenger is sent to the palace. He finds Penelope and he tells her the news that her son has arrived in Ithaca safely. At the same time, Eumaeus, the swineherd, has arrived with the same message sent by Telemachus, that yes, he's arrived home, but he's now away at Eumaeus's house. That, he tells Penelope in secret, so no one can find out where Telemachus is. The suitors hear the news immediately, that the son Telemachus is back, 
and they begin to prepare themselves. Eurymachus is angry that Telemachus has returned safely, and he calls together some of the other suitors so they can make sure everyone who might be away from the palace comes back immediately. He wants everyone available to fight against Telemachus if it comes to it. Just as Eurymachus says this, another of the suitors who's with him, Amphinomus, spots a ship in the distance. It's the suitors that were laying in wait for Telemachus. They've clearly missed him. When this ship arrives, they tell Eurymachus and Amphinomus so many messes about where they've just been. Look, you guys, they say, but more in the way ancient Greeks would speak. We were waiting in the same place this whole time, in exactly the spot where we would see Telemachus's ship as it was returning to Ithaca. We watched day and night, but some god must have brought them home because the ship slipped right past us. The other suitors are not thrilled. They've been trying so damn hard to get rid of Telemachus, and what does he do? Slip right fucking past them. Those damn gods helping people from getting killed because greedy men want to marry a woman against her will just so they can take over the kingdom from her husband that everyone assumes is dead but really isn't. Damn those gods. But not only did Telemachus slip through their grasp, no, now they're extra worried because obviously he knows what he's trying to do and he has the upper hand. The suitors know he'll be plotting against them, getting together supporters so he can finally rid his palace of these pesky, pesky suitors. No, they have to stop him before that can happen. The suitors begin hatching a plan for themselves, debating how they'll do it. Will they kill Telemachus and rob the palace of all its treasure? Will one of them marry Penelope, keep the home and a portion of this robbed treasure? Or should they avoid the threat entirely and simply leave Ithaca, instead electing to continue to court Penelope, who has made it perfectly clear she doesn't want to marry any of them, with gifts from their homes rather than in the palace itself? All really nice options. These are super chill dudes. Finally, the same man who spotted the ship, Amphinomus, speaks. He's one of the wisest suitors. And he tells the others he doesn't want to kill Telemachus. It's not very nice to kill royals, he says. I guess it's fine to kill other people, because, you know, they're poor. No, he says, let's not plot to kill Telemachus. Let's determine what the gods are planning, what they're going to do to help him. And if Zeus wants Telemachus dead, then I'll kill him myself. He finishes, kind of negating the vaguely chill thing he just said. The other suitors agree with this plan, They'll wait and see what the gods want them to do. And so, they return to the palace to continue very much invading Penelope's space. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet... Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. 
I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Penelope is inside the palace and she's heard about the plot to kill her son. She decides that now is the time she must show herself to the suitors. She'd been avoiding them for so long, not wanting to be anywhere near them. But now that she knows they want to kill her son, she's got to do something about these fucking men. Penelope absolutely loses it on one of them, Antinous, throwing all her anger at him, accusing him of being a brute, a criminal. She tells him that people may call him the smartest of his age, but that's not true. You're a maniac, she says. How could you think of killing my son? Have you forgotten about the rules? That Zeus watches those living as guests in another's home? She's got a whole backstory about this guy's father, when he came to Ithaca in the first place. There's a bunch of drama in the story, but I guess Odysseus saved him from some shit, so he really owes the Ithacan kingdom, making his shittiness way more shitty than it even is on the surface. Did that make sense? You owe us, she says in the end. Stop this madness and tell the other suitors to stop too. Antinous just lies to Penelope. 
He tells her he wouldn't imagine of devising such a plan. No one would be able to kill Telemachus on his watch. He'd protect him with all he has. It's all fucking bullshit, as Homer points out in the next line. He tells her quite the speech exactly what she wants to hear about how she can trust him and how Telemachus will be fine and everything is fucking hunky-dory. Meanwhile, he's still hatching the plan to kill Telemachus. At the same time, the swineherd, Eumaeus, returns home having told Penelope about her son's return and where he's staying. Athena disguises Odysseus again so that Eumaeus can't be in a position to give away the secret. So it's only Telemachus who asks after Penelope in his home. Are the suitors there, back from their attempt to ambush me? He asks Eumaeus, who explains that he didn't actually ask as he didn't want to arouse suspicions. But at the same time, on his way back, he saw a ship full of men, fully decked out in weapons. In the morning, Telemachus prepares to leave Eumaeus' house and return to the palace. He tells Eumaeus that he'll need to bring this stranger, Odysseus still in disguise, to town himself. Telemachus doesn't have the time. No, Eumaeus needs to do it. Telemachus needs to head straight home to see his mother. So he does. Before long, he's arrived home. The women of the palace meet him first, his old nurse, Eurycleia, and the other slave women of the palace, they all fawn over him, thrilled to see he's home safe. Thrilled, or I don't know, it's really weird how they talk about slaves, like the palace is doing them a favor and they love their owners. It's pretty weird. Finally, though, Penelope meets her son. She's happy, to say the absolute least. Remember, Telemachus left secretly in the night, she didn't get to see him off or speak to him at all before he left suddenly. So with her son returned safely, she's crying and hugging him repeatedly, asking how it was meeting the men in Pelos. Does he know anything of Odysseus? Has anyone heard what might have happened to him since Troy? Don't worry, Mom, he tells her, avoiding that final question. I'm home. I'm safe. Go upstairs and take a bath. Do what you need to do. He tells her he's going to go find that other stranger he'd encountered, the man who arrived with them in Ithaca, Theoclymenus. He'd sent him on with one of his men, but now he needs to fulfill his role as host. Avoiding the suitors and choosing to only speak with the trusted friends of his father, Telemachus eventually finds Piraeus, his man who brought Theoclymenus into town. Theoclymenus is there too, I couldn't think of a smooth way of explaining that. Anyway, Telemachus finds them both, and Telemachus brings Theoclymenus back to the palace where he's treated like the guest he is. Together they eat and they drink, all while Penelope is kind of watching, taking in what's going on. Finally, she speaks, telling her son that she's going to go lie down in bed, her bed that she shared with Odysseus and that has become a place of mourning all these years. You, she says, have been avoiding telling me whether you heard news of your father. With a sigh, Telemachus decides he'll address his mother's question. Yes, mom, he says, though less casually. I went to Pelos to ask Nestor about my father. I was welcomed, and it was lovely. 
but he hadn't heard anything about Odysseus, not even whether he's alive or dead. Then I went on to see Menelaus in Sparta. When I met him, all Menelaus could tell me was that some time ago Odysseus was trapped on Calypso's island. Nothing more, and nothing more recent. Though Menelaus did predict that Odysseus would return and completely decimate these suitors taking over our home. That alone was just a little comforting. At this, Theoclymenus, the stranger, speaks up. He tells Penelope that this news about her husband is incomplete. I can predict something of Odysseus, he tells her. He's already here, in Ithaca, and he's planning how he will destroy all these suitors. He tells her about the sign he saw with Telemachus, some bird omen, you remember. Through all this, the suitors are outside, playing games and having competitions. But finally they're convinced that they should still eat their meals inside, and at reasonable mealtimes. So they head in. At the same time, Odysseus is trying to get Eumaeus to bring him into town, to the palace. Though Eumaeus is hesitant, he wishes this old man would stay and watch his farm. He has no need to travel into town just to beg for scraps. But Odysseus convinces Eumaeus, and finally, finally, they make their way back together to Ithaca, to Odysseus's own palace. They encounter a bit of a bully situation along the way, but honestly, it seems not to add much to the plot aside from more hint-hinting that Odysseus really is Odysseus, so I won't go into it. But you know, there's a bit of drama en route before Odysseus and Eumaeus finally reach the palace in Ithaca. Odysseus's own palace! The men discuss who will go inside first. Do you want to go in there first? Eumaeus asks the old man. You're likely to get beaten up. Eumaeus tells him quite specifically. Hmm, yes, I've thought about this, Odysseus explains. You go in first, and I'll go in shortly after. I've been beaten up before. Had far worse done to me. I've survived war, Odysseus says. He's not worried about a few shitty suitors. As these men are speaking... Just outside the doors of the palace of Ithaca, Odysseus' own palace, they're overheard. They're overheard not by a slave, nor by one of the suitors. They're overheard by one who knows Odysseus, no matter how he's disguised. They're overheard by one who would know that voice from a mile away. Odysseus can only hide so much, even when hidden by the gods themselves. They're overheard by Odysseus's dog. His dog. Ugh, my heart. They're overheard by his dog, Argos, who Odysseus raised from a puppy all those years ago. I'm not doing the math on how it would be possible for a dog to be that old. Let's just say that dogs live longer in ancient Greece. Isn't that a nice thought? Let's not ruin it, okay, guys, with your logic and dog life expectancies. Odysseus and Eumaeus are overheard by his dog, Argos. His poor dog been mistreated since Odysseus left. Odysseus trained him as a puppy, but then immediately left for Troy and the dog eventually was neglected. Now he's lying in a pile of crap. Quite literally shit. Poor Argos is covered in fleas. He's not loved by any human, but he recognizes that voice. Oh, he recognizes Odysseus's own voice and his tail starts to wag. He's too weak to actually get up and walk over to Odysseus, but he knows who's there. 
Odysseus notices and he tries to hide his tears, seeing his beloved pup after all this time. But he has a job to do, so he hides his emotions. Eumaeus, Odysseus speaks up. This dog, why is he sleeping here in the grime? Is he a pet, a stray? Whose dog is he? Odysseus asks in his cunning Odysseus sort of way and not as emotionally as I am, but I can't talk about a dog. Oh, this dog belonged to a man who's dead now. If Odysseus had been there to take care of the dog, you'd see how happy he'd be, Eumaeus tells him. But no, no one has cared for him in a long time. Slaves won't do it, not unless anyone's watching. And with that explanation, Eumaeus goes inside, not thinking anything of it. Odysseus looks at his dog, who hasn't seen him so long, and Argos knows who's looking at him, his master. Dogs are fucking smart, and the best animals there are. He sees Odysseus, and he's happy, for the first time in years and years. And with that happiness, poor Argos fucking dies. Yeah, he just dies. It's fucking depressing. Give me a million human deaths in stories like this, but don't hurt a dog. Honestly. Odysseus is sad, his poor dog, but so happy to have gotten to see him again one last time. But still, he can't show that he cares. So he and Eumaeus continue on. Finally, they're there, at the doors to the palace. Odysseus waits outside while Eumaeus speaks with Telemachus, who hands Eumaeus a meal, tells him to go outside and tell the old man to eat, and then to beg from the suitors. There's no shame in living off the handouts of these other men, he says. So Eumaeus does just this, giving Odysseus the food and passing on the message from Telemachus. Little does he know that this is the plan the two came up with together. They're setting in motion their plan to do away with these horrible suitors, these men who've been terrorizing the entire palace of Ithaca, who never left Penelope alone for even a second, not for all the time she's been waiting for her husband to return. Finally, they're going to kill these men. So, Odysseus begins going from suitor to suitor, holding out his hand for anything they might be willing to give him. Oh, friends, thank you for listening. Apologies, this episode is a little shorter than normal, but such is life sometimes. I have a lot of packing still to do, and this episode comes out the day before I move. Gods, there's been two moves of mine during the life of this podcast, and that's too many. Anyway, it's a bitch living in one of Canada's most expensive cities, so you gotta do what you gotta do. That's pointless information, though. Basically, I'm just sorry this is vaguely shorter than usual. I didn't want to cut you off mid-bloodshed, so next week, it begins. How angry is Odysseus at these men who've been terrorizing his wife and son and everyone in his household? How angry is he that he missed his dog after all these years? Well, he's fucking pissed, and we're about to see what it means for a man like Odysseus to be that angry. Violence, that's what. Well, thank you all as usual. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast if you like it. Ideally on iTunes, just head there to review, even if you listen elsewhere, because it helps immensely. You're all the best. Thank you so much for your reviews and your messages and just generally interacting with me and loving the podcast. It's truly wonderful. I'm Liv, and I love this shit, particularly Odysseus and his dog.
When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.